0: So we're going to talk today. Parsha is Pinchas, but this week's portion is Pinchas. But we're actually going to talk a little bit about the story of Korach. Now, um, there's not so many references like in the Torah from one place to the other place. But in this week's parsha, there is a reference to the study. That, the story. The story that took place with Korach. I want to discuss one it. You know, it was one of the m- most fascinating stories in the Chumash, and uh, what? the Mishnah counts it you of know, the ten things that were created, especially in Arab Shabbos. You, you to, you know, was the fact that the um, that the the mouth of the earth was created? It was like a like they call it today, like a sinkhole you know, they have in in Florida they have a sinkhole, but this wasn't a sinkhole this was, God made this uh, miracle which was something which never happened before and never will happen again, these are the people of Korach, they went out against Korach and they were punished, and Moshe Rabbeinu actually threatened them And he said that you will be swallowed in the ground. And we read, we're going to read a little bit in the Parsha's Korach, which was a couple of weeks ago. um, We read that actually they were swallowed in the ground. So this is something, a very uh, outstanding event that we never see anything like that again anywhere in the Torah. And... um, in this week's Parsha, it again talks about, but in this week's Parsha, it talks about... Oh, yeah, I'm going to bother you to go get the door. In, in In this week's Parsha, all of a sudden, it tells you about Uvnei Korach lo We're going to read inside in a few minutes, we're going to read in that the sons of Korach actually did not die. Now, what's going on over here? We're going to do the... Uh, Possibly with Rashi we're going to try to understand a little bit what's going on over here and I guess the message what we're going to read is about the power of repentance and to see how even people who get involved with uh, negative behavior, with incitement with uh, discord, with the disagreement, fighting with Moshe Rabenu still, they can do Teshuvah, they can repent and if they repent, they actually reach a very high level we're going to see that message from the, from the Parsha today but let me just give you the background before I'm going to have everybody read a little piece but before we do that, I want to give you the background we're once again counting the Jewish people in the Torah we find three times the Jewish people were counted uh, Now, there's one more time, actually. Uh, One more time, the Torah, there is no count over there. When the Jews originally left Egypt, over there, the verse just says, oh, uh, there are 600,000 of us. That's what the verse says. There are 600,000. Now, how do they know that there were 600,000? So, it is understood that the Jewish people at the time when they left Egypt were also counted. But that, that census, that counting is not really recorded in the Torah. Outside of the Torah just saying uh, 600,000, that's what it says, went up from Egypt. It doesn't say that they were counted or how the number came about, it just says there were 600,000 went up from Egypt, outside of Egypt. Then, after um, a few months, when the Jewish people got the Torah, that took a few months, And then they made the mistake when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to the mountain and they made the golden calf, they worshipped the golden calf. And then there was a plague and a lot of Jewish people, a lot of the people died. So Moshe Rabbeinu counted them. We have the Parshas Kitisa. Moshe Rabbeinu counts them over there. Then again, later on in the book of Bamidbar, the beginning of the, it's called the Chumash HaPakudim, it's the Chumash of Counting. Again, the Jewish people are counted. Now, this this took place on the first day of the month of Iyar. They were counted. So this was like about the first counting was done after uh, the the, the, uh, the first counting was done uh, after Yom Kippur was done. I said after they made the Meidegel, but the way Hashem forgiven them. That was Yom Kippur, and then about six months later, they were counted again. Now here we're 40 years later. Now here we're about to go into Israel. So they're now they're standing on Yarden Yerecho. they're on the Jordan River, they're facing Jericho, they're on the other side of the river, and they're about to go into Israel. So here, Hashem says again to count. Why is Hashem saying again to count? Over here, So Rashi gives two commentaries. One, because Moshe Rabbeinu was about to pass away, Uh, And just like God has given them an account when He gave them over to Moshe Rabbeinu, He counted them, so when He's leaving, He's giving them also another count. It's interesting, as we'll see in the end, maybe we'll see, it didn't seem like there was much left from those that Moshe Rabbeinu uh, took over in the beginning, because we know that all the people that were from 20 to uh, 60 all died in the 40 years in the desert. So basically... I mean we talk about the men the women were not part of the of the decree I guess the women were just the natural way, whatever the natural way was that were the women but the men all of them died between the age of twenty and sixty in the forty years that they were in the desert so uh, and we'll, it's interesting to see that so who 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 who's really left I mean we had Yeshua and Kalev, you know we had the few I mean there wasn't really many many people left so But Rashi says Hashem gave it to him with a number so he's going to also take it away with a number. So that's one thing. The other thing is because there was another plague for the Jewish people we learned so much Rabbeinu was counting them uh, to know uh, how many were left like a a lion once attacked Rashi gives the example a lion attacked a herd of sheep and the owner of the uh, herd after the lion left he's counting the sheep to see how many left over so that's another reason. Okay, so they started to count them. So let's read a little bit in the Pasuk about the counting, how they started to count them. I started from those verses that are important. So why don't we start with Heidi? We'll start with you. Start with verse 7 over here. Okay, then. These were These were the families of the Reubenites and they numbered 43,000 730. So all these numbers are very significant and you know Rashi goes into a lot of details, they're very interesting but we're not going to discuss that. So this is the tribe of Ruben, you know we know we had 12 tribes the oldest was Ruben so the tribe of Ruben had uh, 43,730 we'll see at the end it also comes out again to 601 thousand and something, that's what's going to come out again at the end so basically they replenish themselves you know for whatever for that number I mean, uh, okay, now next what is it, okay, the sons the sons of Palu were Aliyah. Aliyah. now, this this, this this follow. I didn't quote from the beginning of the Pesukim, the, the, the verse before tells us about Ruvain's sons this is a summation the total tribe of Ruvain so it says the sons of Palu were Aliyah. Okay, uh, next pasuk. Heidi, you want to do the next pasuk? The sons of uh, Aliyah were N-um-el, N-um-el, or Nimuel, the Datan, the Aviram, and they are Datan and Aviram, chosen of the congregation, incited against Moshe and Aaron, and the assembly of Kobra when they incited against the Lord. So here all of a sudden the verse is discussing again about when it talks about Ruvain and it talks about his sons, it's telling you back the story that that is the Dasan Vaviram who incited against Moshe in the community of Korach. Now, one can ask on the, on the surface, why does this have to do the story? Okay, you know, we had Dasan Vaviram, we read a big story about them, they are the Datam Vaviram. But one can ask, why is this important? We're doing a census over here and we're doing the count of the Bnei Israel uh, of the and we're talking about Ruven and we're saying that this was the sons of Ruven and now we're messing we're talking about Datam Vaviram. All of a sudden we're going back to tell you, well, Datam Vaviram, they incited against Moshe. Why is that why is that important to know over here? We'll see as we learn we'll see. That there is significance to that. Okay, but let's go continue. Uh, and do the next verse, go to number ten. Yaela, yeah, you want to do number ten? And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them in Korach. When that assembly died, and when fire destroyed two hundred and fifty men, Okay, so it's going back again. The earth, it says, opened its mouth and swallowed them and Korach. When the assembly died and were destroyed. So now we're talking about, again. Now, Miriam, let's do Pasuk 11, Yud Aleph. Now here we're going to say, what does Pasuk 11 Yud Aleph say? Korach's sons did not die. Now, Korach's sons did not die. That seems to be, that seems to be a strange statement. Why? Because if we remember, and we're going to read it soon. If we remember from before, it said that all the family of Korach were swallowed in the ground. It seemed like everybody of Korach's family—they all died over there in the time they were all part of the of the fight over there. So, and here all of a sudden it says the sons of Korach did not die. So do the Rashi. The Rashi—I have the quote of the Rashi over here. Yeah, Korach's sons, however, did not die so let's see what Rashi says they were originally involved <clears throat> in the conspiracy but during the dispute they contemplated repentance therefore an elevated area was set apart for them in Iran and they stayed there But what does, this, what does this all mean over here it's like a little bit, a little bit confusing what, what exactly what exactly happened with these Korach, with the people of Korach where did they go, what happened with these with these sons and now it says over here that they actually were involved in the conspiracy, so that they were involved but then it says they contemplated repentance therefore an elevated area was set apart for them in Gehinom and they stayed there So, so they stayed there for how long? Did they ever come? Did they ever come out? Did they stay there? Where? Where again? The, they always. They stay there and they live there forever. Uh, is that? Is that good? Is that bad? I mean, what is that? So, and, but the real question is, uh, why, um, why? Why tell us the story over here? I mean, who was talking about? Okay, we talked about Datan Vaviram and we talked about um, how. They, fight, they fought with, with Korach. Then we talked about the earth opening up, and now all of a sudden, we're bringing something in about Korach. You know, earlier, when we read the story of Korach, if the Torah wanted to tell us what happened, they could have told you, well, everybody was swallowed in, and, you know, sons of Korach, they didn't really die, because... The Torah doesn't say anything. When you read the portion in... Uh, before, it doesn't say anything about... It doesn't say anything about the sons of Korach. It doesn't say anything. And... Um, We don't really know anything about what happened to the sons of Korach, it seems in the Pasuk. It just says, Korach and all of his family and everything that belonged to him, they were all swallowed in, and that's it. There's nothing mentioned. Why over here, all of a sudden, when we're we're talking about Ruven and Das and Vaviram, the Pasuk is telling you something what happened to the Bnei and and, and really what, what did happen to them. I mean, what's going on over here? I mean, it's really seems a little bit strange you know the whole the whole thing what's going on here and what happened uh, to them and how, how do we know that these that they were instigators rashi says that they were originally involved in the conspiracy how do we know that they were originally involved in the conspiracy how do we know all this and based upon what i mentioned earlier on the idea uh The Torah really wants to teach us the power. Would seem. The Torah wants to teach us the power of repentance, and the Bnei Korach are brought as an example. Now you know in this the Book of Psalms, you know that we read in the Book of Psalms the Tehillim. The Tehillim has ten words, mizmor, mizmor. It has a song, and then it has Lamanat Seyach, it has there's ten various different types of headings in the Tehillim. Rashi right in the beginning of the Tehillim says, why is there ten different kinds of the Tehillim? And Rashi says that the Tehillim had ten authors. We all know David, King David made Psalms, we know that he was the author of Psalms, of the Psalms, Right? But Rashi in the beginning of the Tehillim said there were actually 10 author, authors. Corresponding to the 10 authors, we have 10 different languages of song because each one corresponding to one author. Who were the 10 authors? He says, Adam, of course David, and Moshe, Moshe. Because if you see in the Tehillim, you have, even though they were sang by David, but it says Tefillal Moshe, Moshe, it's a Moshe's prayer, But guess what? In the Tehillim, you find Lam Natsayach Livnei Korach. It says a song for the sons of Korach. Rashi says there were three sons of Korach. And the three sons of Korach are part of the ten authors. The three plus seven. Rashi quotes over there, all the seven are the three sons of Korach. When we say over here, Vnei Korach, Lomesu. It means not only did they not die, but Le-mesu, they didn't die, but we're telling us here the tremendous power that we have from doing Teshuvah. So, being the sons of Korah, who instigated, that made a big Melchama, a big war against Moshe Rabbeinu, caused so much trouble. And yet, at the end, Le-mesu, they didn't die. And as I said, they they ended up being the authors, part of the three all authors, of the ten authors of the Book of the Tale. Furthermore, furthermore, when we learn, we you know one of the greatest prophets that came to the Jewish people and one of the first prophets uh, after, of course, Moshe Rabbeinu, but we're talking about after, later on, after the Shoftim, was Shmuel Hanavi. And the prophet Shmuel is, is considered almost equal to Moshe and Aaron, Shmuel Hanavi, Shmuel the prophet. He actually king, the first king, he made Shoal for king. Shmuel, the prophet, is is a descendant of the Bnei Korach. He's a descendant of the Bnei Korach. Further, in the Dibre HaYom, in the book of Chronicles, over there it's recorded that some of the family of Korach, over there it goes through the Old Korach, the Dibre Hayom, the Chronicles, over there it's recorded some of the most distinguished Levim, the Levites, and the distinguished families was actually children descendants of Korach. So Korach was actually a uh, family. Later on, his family turned out to produce some of the very special uh, very special Levites, a very holy people, and some of the judges, the greatest judges, Maski Lahayman Hazrochi, some of the greatest judges were the children descendants of Korach. Of his sons? What? His sons? So these sons had kids, by the way. Ah? they already had the kids They're... oh, well, okay so, good question did they have the kids already? didn't they have the kids? did they die? what happened to them? they ended up in in, 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 in the what, what happened to them? they ended up in the uh, over there in, the, in, the, in, in under the ground or they came out of the ground again, every statement that I say here there is various different commentaries so, I'm giving you the Rebbe's commentary I'm going to teach you today what the Rebbe says about it, because there is various different, uh the Rebbe usually takes the simple approach for Rashi and the uh, simple level, but there is no one clear answer in the Gemara. It also comes out a little bit different. Uh, but this is Rashi's quoted from the Gemara, but it's a little bit with a little bit of a different twist. And we're going to explain to you uh, what the Rebbe says. So these were all the descendants. Matter of fact, Rashi wrote earlier, Rashi said he didn't understand why was Korach starting up with Moshe Rabbeinu? Because Korach seemed to be like a very uh, intelligent guy. He was a smart guy. Rashi calls him Korach Shepika He was a, a smart man. So, why did he do such a s- foolishness? Why did he go ahead and stop, start up with Moshe Rabbeinu? He didn't know I mean, they had enough evidence throughout the history with Moshe Rabbeinu that Moshe Rabbeinu is doing what Hashem tells him to do. So why did he go with a startup? So he said, actually he was very smart and he had a vision that he saw. But he made a mistake. He saw something very profound. He saw that there is a great future family going to come out from himself. He knew that Korach is destined to have a great family. And he couldn't attribute it to anybody else but himself. He thought that that great family and the privilege and that special uh, zuchus of having such great people of his descendants is sort going to protect him. Somehow is going to cause him protection and that he's not going to fail. That tricked him. He actually saw Shmuel HaMavi and all the, from what we said before in the Chronicles, he saw that, he had that vision, and maybe God showed it to him so that he should make the mistake, because to give the opportunity to make that mistake. But he thought of, thought that he would be spared because of that. So we already know that Korach had uh, an expectation the family would be, but it didn't happen from him. But it happened from his children. It happened from the Bnei Korach. In the simple sense from Rashid way we see here, what happens, we have like this, we know that there's something which is called Purgatory, gehenom We know we know that after a person passes Olam Haba, sometimes we have to clean ourselves in the gehenom But there's also gehenom is also a physical place called the gehenom We have the Tanach. It's called the gay, the valley of Hinnom. That's the gay Hinom. In the physical sense, there is also a gay Hinom, which means uh, most people don't go to the physical gay Most people, uh, when they pass on, they get buried. Korach's family was different. Korach and his family were different. Hashem made a miracle. And in the miracle that Hashem made, the earth opened up. And everything was swallowed right down into the ground together with them. Now over here, everybody was swallowed. Why was everybody swallowed? Because it says they all followed. But if you look very closely in the Rashi, you'll see that you just read, it said they contemplated repentance. It doesn't say they repented. Right? Which means they contemplated repentance. What does contemplating repentance mean? It means that in the whole story, they said, you know what, we should, we should sort of let this go, we shouldn't do this. But on the revealed level, on the open level, they participated, they were part of it. They didn't, because the people, Rashi specifically also says, that they actually incited, they were part of the, uh, that they were part, they were originally involved in the conspiracy, they were part of the conspiracy. So it wasn't just that they were there, but they were part of the conspiracy. And then they, and then they sort of thought about repenting, but they didn't repent. But, therefore, Rashi says, the verse is, is telling us basically, that even though the verse earlier said that they were all swallowed in the ground, but they, there was a special place left for them. But what happened with them? So, if you read carefully in the Pasuk of Edir, it says two things. It says they were swallowed in, but it also says they were lost from the community. Which means they were swallowed in, but it says lost of the community, meaning of that community. The way the Rebbe learns is that their punishment was like twofold. There were some people that were swallowed in and they were completely lost, and there were some people that were swallowed in and they were just lost from the community. That community is a reference to the people that were there at that time, the people that were there at that time when the fight was going on, that community they were lost with. so as the way the Rebbe understands it is that after this community is already gone, and we're reading now there's a new census, these are the people that are left over as we just said the new census after everybody else died, so now we're telling you the Pasuk tells you korach they, they didn't die which means at this point after the 40 years once everybody was out, they sort of came out from under the ground, they were under the ground for 30 years or 38 years over there they weren't lost only for the community they were lost that time, but later on they came out, why is it important to tell us here that the Korachs all of a sudden such a wonderful thing they came out because we are going to be reading in a few verses later on, it counts the Levites also, it's gonna tell you with all the census. And guess what? We're gonna count the Levites, it's gonna talk all about Korach's family. But wait a minute, how how is there a family for Korach if they were all swallowed in? So the Torah over here, before the Torah can before the Torah can tell you Levi's um, descendants and tell you the numbers you're going to have a question, because part of that family that is being counted is going to be the family of Korach. So you're going to say, but wait a minute, how do we have the children of Korach over here if all the Korach people died? We said before that Korach and all the family, everybody everybody disappeared. So the Torah has to sort of tell you now, after the census, that we're making, after all the other Jews died, we're making a new census of the people that are left over. We said, Kolev is left over, Yeshua is left over and also the Bnei Korach Lomesu. they're also left over. That's why the story comes here. We asked before, why, why are we talking about the story of here? Who cares? Because we have to tell you about the census. But you notice something very interesting. The Torah puts the and Aviram together with Bnei Korach. The Torah seems to say that they were both almost equally guilty. Datan Vaviram, we know, because we learn in the whole Chumash, starting with the fighting, when we learn about the fights of the two people over there, who was the two people, the Jews that were fighting, that when Moshe came out, this goes back a hundred years before, when they were still in, when Moshe was 13 years old, growing up, coming out from the palace over there, But he sees two Jewish people fighting, who were those people fighting? Datan B'Abiram. Who is the one that went and told Pharaoh, that he killed the Egyptian when he killed him. Who is the one? Huh? Your brothers. Yeah, and and the rest of see, there were sons of. They had another brother over there, the third one. The the, the tells you here. I I screwed the pasuk right. There was another brother over there. So okay, they were all the sons of Ayn Ben Pellas. Uh, I mean, uh, the son of Nemu, uh, Eliab. Ali, the son of Eliab, and so so now they have like this. And that was it. Who do you think was there when, uh, Pharaoh, uh, when Pharaoh made the work harder after Moshe Rabbeinu came pleading, uh, pleading? Who was there? Who do you think left over from the manna? When Moshe Rabbeinu said, I'm Shabbos, you shouldn't leave over. Don't go collecting a Shabbos. Tosun Raviram. Okay. Tosun Aviram were always there. They, viram, they come through the whole Chumash. They're always there, always looking for trouble. So, Dothar and Aviram are known troublemakers, they were always on Moshe Rabbeinu's case, and they are always looking for an opportunity to start up Moshe Rabbeinu. But now comes the Mechlukas with Korach. Now here, the Pasik bunches them up together, and says, Dothar and And also, this that I'm telling you, that the sons of Korach, they were mentioned later on, we're going in order, we're talking about Ruvain, and then we're going to talk about Shimon, and then we're going to talk about Levi, that's the third one, right? So how come over here, we don't have all the psukim over here? I didn't call, bring all the psukim. But the question is, how come you're telling us it now by Rubain? Why don't you tell us about Korach when we're we going to count them? If you want to tell them, but in Korach lomesu, What are you telling us over there? Why, why is it important to tell us over here at this point when you talk about Dasan Baviram? Okay, he's talking about Dasan already. But actually, the Torah is trying to tell you a very powerful message, like I said before, that. Actually, this Bnei Korach, they were actually as guilty as Dossamavirah. And you know what, what was Korach's problem, and it's it's also makes a lot of uh, you know a lot of sense you know by what we see going on today. Sometimes children, you know, they take on the father's uh, honor because Korach was very upset, as you know, that Korach was very wealthy. He was also very learned, and he was a very religious man. So he was a, you know, he was a great man. He felt, and he was very offended by the fact that he wasn't given the leadership position like he thought he deserved. And he, was, he got very offended. So his kids, his sons, they took on their father's cause. So they went, and they fought for their father. So they started, when their father was upset, they took on their father's cause and they fought against Moshe Rabbeinu. So, the pasach is trying to tell us datam v'aviram Bnei korach. But yet the pasach has to tell you over here that even though they were like buddhasa v'aviram, Uvnei korach lo Still, the sons of Korach, they didn't die because they do teshuva. So, it's so powerful, the, the ability to do teshuva that even from that level, so maybe they had to be because they didn't actually do tshuva, as we said, they just contemplated tshuva. Even contemplating tshuva is something which gained them back their lives, and then we see that eventually such a beautiful family came out from that. Um, because that's why, you know, a lot of times uh, people think that, you know, you have a, a, a child sometimes, or you have a student sometimes, it's very difficult, And sort of you say, you know, there's nothing, uh, nothing we can do about you know, he's gonna, uh, he's not gonna make it, you know, or he's gonna be, uh, he's lost, because we're talking about here on the physical sense we have to be also be able to imagine this on the spiritual sense. Some children get lost. They get lost to the Jewish people. They get lost to, to the meaning of what it means to be a Jew. Um, and in the, uh, you can sort of say they get swallowed into the ground. What does it mean to get swallowed into the ground? Uh, the ground represents everything that grows, all foods and things. Materialism basically is represented by the ground. You get swallowed into the ground can also mean you get swallowed into all the materialism you get swallowed in. And, you know, sometimes children, and sometimes in this case, uh, the sons of Korach, Korach himself was, like I said, he was a tzaddik and he was a, a righteous man. But maybe uh, his children saw that notwithstanding the fact that he was a righteous man, but they saw that the study of his Torah, that he, he went against Moshe Rabbeinu, that he had, he had a big ego, and that he was something that he wouldn't, uh, he wasn't going to let go, go, go through, so it caused the children maybe to do the wrong things, but the Torah actually tells us that, no, don't give up on these children, don't give up on these students, because you never know. After a while, being underground, after a while, being involved in materialism, in very uh, the pursuit of everything physical. But then later on, you get out from under the ground, and then you actually begin to blossom. You can have make you know a tremendous uh, a tremendous family, and you can create tremendous uh, tremendous you know beautiful uh, descendants that come out that become. Uh, you know, like Shmuel Hanavi, and like, like the following, and it's also, you know, a lot of times when you look at someone and you look at their present situation, maybe you misjudge and you think that uh, what you see is what you get, but really you have to realize that not always when you see the person, what you see in front of you is really what the person really is. There is a. Uh, there's a soul there and there is depth there and there is goodness there and uh, you have to try the best to sort of bring that out so let's let's continue a little bit with the verse over there, let's continue mm-hmm. uh, yes, sure so what, what the writer says is that they disappeared they appeared to be swallowed. They, were swallowed they were swallowed but they didn't go into purgatory they didn't go into Gehenna they were sitting over there like Rashi says the rest of the Rebbe really explains the Rashi, yes, and they sat there for about thirty whatever years under the ground. Under the ground, yes, just by then, the three of them. The three of them, right? Okay, and then they appeared, and after America, that, and they had children, they and they had children, and then they had grandchildren. Then, then all the families came from them, from Why the they up? Originally, because they they did from the outside they looked like they were like everybody else that they didn't repent because people didn't see anything so the fact that they com- contemplated in their mind wasn't enough to change the decree that was decreed in everybody else because they were part with everybody else so it didn't you couldn't treat them any differently and they didn't actually verbally or didn't openly actually repent they only contemplated repentance so it was enough to save them so that they wouldn't have their place. Now, again it sounds like an outstanding miracle, but this whole story to begin with, to have the earth open its mouth and swallow people in is already an outstanding story, so to add to the story that there was a place, I mean that's not the Rebbe's interpretation, Rashi said it look at the Rashi again, but if you look at the Rashi, he just said they were originally involved in the conspiracy but during the dispute they contemplated repentance. Therefore, an elevated area was set apart for them in Gehinom and they stayed there. Now, some commentaries say they stayed there; that they never came out. Yes. Some now, of them say, they but they—they they were, yeah. Well, and then yeah, how do you have the Bnei Korach over here? we have to have that they had descendants. Now, uh, the, the 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 children of Korach, the families over there. Uh, the question is, when did those families, when were all those families uh, created? Again, it seems to me from what I read in the Rebbe Sicha, I hope I, I I read it understood it correctly, it seems for me that they came out after the third, that's what the Rebbe is saying over there, And they came out afterwards, and that's when they raised those families. But over here we're already counting families already, so it, it somehow uh, those families um, were... You know, we're, were either were counted, you know, that eventually we're, were brought in. I mean I'm not sure exactly. I have to this point is a little bit right now I'm thinking about it, I don't understand exactly. It seems like those uh, the family, the Korachai families over there, the sons of Korach, it seems like Now take a look in the Khamish, it seems like um, these were their descendants. Because everybody else was swallowed up and we don't have any record of anybody else staying alive. So that that seems to be what happened here. But I, I, I'm not sure how these families, you got to look in the Chumash, you got to see how these families reproduce so fast, so that they create all the families. But, yeah, go ahead. So when the Shav comes, are they going to come back? Well, so all the people that sinned and did all, are they coming back? This is an interesting question you ask. Um, so the Talmud actually discusses this in the Talmud Sanhedrin. And um, one of the, um, I guess, one of the biggest avaris, one of the biggest sins, is to make machlokis, make fights, discontent. Uh, especially, we're talking now in the three weeks. Like the sons of Rabbi Akiva, Oh, the, the students. But over there it's a little bit different. Over there it says the students of Rabbi Akiva, they didn't respect each other. There's one thing: starting a machlokis, starting a fight. And not honoring each other. Okay, for them it was considered to be a negative thing, but it's Rashi says it right there in the Chumash also. Rashi says that when you have machlokis, even little children die. Why would little children? It says the whole family, everybody. What are the little kids do? It says machlokis, sort of hurts, is a is a worst kind of a sin that you can do. So to answer your question, any machlokis is considered to be a very dangerous enterprise to get involved in in, 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 in in fightings and things like that but in this case you have to remember it wasn't just a regular fight they were fighting against Moshe Rabbeinu and Moshe Rabbeinu fighting against Moshe Rabbeinu means fighting against Hashem's agent against Moshe Rabbeinu and, and also in a sense what they said was is that Moshe Rabbeinu isn't really telling the truth, he's just making up all the stories on his own so this was a real challenge to everything. So to answer your question directly, the Gemara actually learns from the duplicate language that I said before, that they actually lose their portion in the world to come. You know, in the Pirkei Avot, we always say, Kol Israel, can you continue? Yesh lahem, laolam Yeah? Kol Israel yesh lahem laolam haba. What does that mean? All Jews have a part in the world to come, right? But that's only, this is the thing, that's only the quote that you do in the Pirkei Avot. But the quote goes a little further. It says, Chutz, with the exception. (laughs) You don't say that part, but there's a continuation to the part. And the people that fought with Korach are part of the exception. The Gemara, Gemara, the Mishnah over there, in the end of Sanhedrin. Yeah, there's a Mishnah. That's a quote, but it's a half a quote. I mean it doesn't quote you the whole the whole Mishnah over there it quotes a little, a little line from the Mishnah but the rest of the Mishnah tells you every Jew has a portion of what to come with the exception of the following and you know one who doesn't believe in Mashiach doesn't have one who who, uh, and it goes through like the people who fought with uh, with, uh, with Moshe Rabbeinu and etc. the Gemara Talmud learns it out that they don't have a a a portion of the world to come. So and it, it's actually based on the verse because the duplicate liquid it says they were swallowed and they were lost. So meaning that they were uh, both totally totally gone. But uh, I also you know if you want to connect this, we were just at a we did a you know it, it bothers me a lot to my mind. Uh, you no, know, we were just at a, an unveiling and you know there was. Uh, you know, a nice Jewish family, and uh, and one of the uh, one of the daughters married out of the faith. Just got married to a non jewish So I, so I, I, uh, I uh, sort of I I sort of you know your heart cries, and you say you know you know where where do we go wrong? I mean, the children don't marry Jewish, you know, and you know it's like you know the, the mother is is in terrible pain, and the, you know the father, and you know there are people that wanted their, you know, they tried the best they knew, I mean, apparently maybe they didn't do enough, but they tried to do, to give the children to make and everything else, and and you feel like, you know, they're swallowed under the ground, <laughs> you, know, you feel like they're, you know, what what's going on, and and but, you know, I'm saying there's still hope you know, even in, in all these cases there's still hope, the hope is that you know, they come out from under the ground and uh, and, uh, and and you know, and maybe you know, some sometime maybe they they, they could still Our children the children will be Jewish. Family. Yeah, the children are Jewish, and you know, I'm saying yeah, the children will still be Jewish. But I'm saying it's 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 it, there's hope, sort of to say. But the the the, the bottom line is you're burying <laughs> you are you're buried. You know, you're burying yourself in, a, in 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 such a situation, and it's unfortunate that it's happening more and more. And uh, you know, people are. You know, do the best they can, or their circumstances. They try, but you know, apparently, uh, it's 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 not enough. You know, it's not enough, and sometimes, uh, you know, the um, the the hardest thing is really uh, in. in, You know, they say the story about the teacher who was complaining about this kid that he's a terror in the classroom, can't handle him. turning everybody upside down. Okay? And he calls the father, the mother all the time, telling, complaining about the kid. So finally, one time he calls up to complain, the father says to the teacher, he says, look, what do you want me to do? It's my car, my kid, the guy gave me such a kid. <laughs> so what am I supposed to do? Throw him out of the house and not feed him? I mean, what am I supposed to do? So he says, you know, you know, there's medication today. Put him on some riddle and he uh, will be okay. So the father said, but, you know, there's a stigma attached to this, you know, people, you know. He said, no, we'll do it in a, in a very discreet way. We'll do it, nobody will know. He says, in the morning, um, you know, we'll put his pill and I'll ask him to get my my coffee and um, he'll take his pill then so nobody will know. Okay. A couple of weeks later, the father meets him at a wedding, the teacher, he says, no, how's my son done? His son is an angel. He said, no kid, you know, never... I never did. Okay, wow, such great, and, and um, all right. So then, the father calls over the kid. He says, "What's going on?" He says, "Been taking the medication." He says, "What have you been doing?" He says, "I've been taking the pill and putting it to the teacher's coffee." He said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we find a lot of times, you know, spouses. We find this parents with children. You know, it's very easy to blame somebody else for your problems. <laughs> You so say you can't do it. You know it's this one's fault. It's that one's fault. Everybody, children blame the parents. Parents blame their children, uh, the children. The Everybody is blaming each other. <laughs> Everybody is is blaming. But the hardest thing is that you got to look yourself in the mirror. I mean, you got to. That's and that's the most difficult thing because you're trying to change your child. It means you got to change yourself a little bit. And what's the hardest thing is to change your own lifestyle, to change your own self, and do something. So when we complain about our kids, you know, yeah, you know, it's easy to complain, you know, maybe uh, do something, give them some riddle and everything else, but if we change ourselves, you know, we can help our children in a lot of ways, we can help them too. Not by changing them, by changing us, changing ourselves, who we are. And, but that that's, you know, that's that's very difficult. And um, Same thing goes to, with Yiddishkeit, with, with, with you know, and it's important to, to you know, do a lot yourself in order to convey that message you know, but it's very hard to do that and not always are we successful not always are we and we want the school we want the, the shul we want somebody else to do the work You know, they, because that's what it is and you pay money for, these, for, the, for everything and, and you want it but it doesn't always work out but in any event, don't give up even if it's, even if it's, that is, look, you know, the children are Jewish, and the, uh, in this case, uh, if the, I guess, if the mother is Jewish, then the kids are Jewish. The mother is not, then it's another, a whole other story. Uh, and then we have the whole story with Pinchas that was the Midianite woman that was enticing the, the men and trying to get them to sin. So. Um, I think what the Torah is telling us a whole story over here is to tell us actually this message that uh, B'nai Korach they were in it, together with us and B'Aviram, they only contemplated teshuva, and that was, you know, sometimes contemplating teshuva is enough to change things around. There is example, there is a Halacha. You know, sometimes people get married and they, they have certain expectation of the spouse. Halachically, uh, the marriage may not be a good marriage. If the, so let's say a person marries, and he says, look, the woman says, she's marrying the husband so that he has a million dollars. You know That's why she only agrees to marry if he has a million dollars. If it turns out he doesn't have a million dollars, then the marriage is way because it was a, a mis, uh, misinformation. It was a, a deal, was, you know, it wasn't the right deal. What happens if a person... The woman says, "I'm going to marry you. Um, that you're a tzaddik, you're a righteous man, you're a you know you're a tzaddik." And she marries him. She sees the guy is a bum. She, she says, "So, Talmud says it's not so simple in that case. Why? Because maybe he had a thought of Teshuva in his mind, and he could turn in. You can just with a thought of Teshuva, you can turn from a totally evil person. You can turn into a." Sometimes just a thought, just a contemplation, just a warning, and to try to uh, do tshuva can change around your whole life. So the bnei korach, just thinking about tshuva, not even doing the tshuva, but just thinking about the just uh, thinking about it. And all of us, we have our. What time is now? You have the time. Seven. Seven. All of us, we have our. Um, We have our moments, you know, a lot of times, you know, things are fast-paced. We don't have time to stop and think, but then sometimes, you know, we stop and we think about life and we think about, um, um, especially, you know, people, as you're getting a little older, we know that uh, we're not going to be here forever. (laughs) And, you know, time becomes a a very important commodity because we got less of it. You know, when you're young, your expectation, you're invincible and you're, you know, you're going to be forever. But, so, you know, you're complaining. So we all have, we all have those thoughts of that we want our lives to be good for ourselves and for our families, and it's never too late. You know, we always have to go ahead and, and keep strong and do what we can, you know, just do. We can't, we can't change the whole world at a time. But, look, just by contemplating... Repentance. After they did such terrible things, they started with Moshe Rebbein. it caused so much grief and so much sorrow and so much pain. But still, they just contemplated repentance, and already that was enough to save them. It was already enough to go ahead and to change things around. Um, I want to read a little bit more, but okay, we're out of time. But uh, I'm going to look up. I, I, I'm still I'm not clear about whether the families all started after they came out. Is that the meaning? That's when all the families started? And that's how we have the family of Kauri? Or somehow, they were from the 40 years before, and somehow they came out earlier, I thought, and they started having families before. Uh, I understood, again, like I'm saying, I understood, i got to look it up again, that it happened afterwards. I'm not sure about that. But I will... um, I will say this, this whole is fascinating, this whole thing, and I mentioned earlier that the opening of the uh, earth, that part, was created of the ten things that the Mishnah says that was created on twilight, on before, when the world was created and Erev Shabbos ben Hashimoshas it says that the the, uh, mouth of the also uh, of the opening Uh, also the piaber, the Piyah we read about the Donkey's mouth that opened. Those all had to do with with Shabbos. So this was special creations that God created, also on 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 Mushes. That opening for that to be there, but we were just talking about that last. Yeah, Shabbos. yeah. Ten things that place right? That's right. So you remember one of them? Yeah. Uh, I guess, uh, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. So they, these are one of the ten things. Then they, actually, there's some that add a few more things over there. Some say the mazikim. Some say the the avtzvas mitzvas asuya. Also, the plier was created. The creation of the plier, various different other things in the mission over there. Okay, all right. We'll leave it over this. In the, the Pesach, actually, it doesn't say about the children of uh, Koyrach. Uh, it just talks about the families of the Levites, when the Pesach mentions after the whole count of the Bnei Yisrael, and then it says, Then it says about the families of the Levites, so it says, Mishpachas ha-karchi. So we're not talking about any children, we're just talking about Mishpachas ha-karchi, which can very easily mean the three sons of Koyrach, so there's no problem at all. We don't have... Have to, there was no discussion about any children of Korach, so mishpachas Akorach could refer to the three sons of Korach that had the space made for them in Gan in in the gate, in this by Ganem above the Ganem, and they lived over there, and then they came out after the forty years or whatever, uh, close to forty years, and then they started a family, and that's counted mishpachas Akorach.